Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. My name is Promise Bradley, and as always, it is a tremendous honor and very humbling to get to share the word of the Lord with you this morning. The title of the message this morning is The Pressing. And if you have your Bibles, let's turn to John chapter 16, verse 33. As I said, the title of the message this morning is The Pressing. Now, it's not depressing, although I am from southern Illinois, so it might sound like I'm saying depressing from time to time, but I'm saying the pressing. But how many knows sometimes when you're in the pressing, it can feel a little depressing? <laughs> we all go through seasons like that, right? Yeah. Tests and trials and tribulations and other words that start with T. I don't know why they all start with T, like temptation, or how about just plain old trouble? Yeah. Jesus promised in John that we would have trouble in this world. He said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, because I have overcome the world in John 16, 33. And I think that's really encouraging this morning, because what that tells me is that it really doesn't matter the magnitude of the pressing that I'm facing. It really doesn't matter the source of the pressing in my life. Jesus has overcome it. And he has a redemptive answer for whatever I am going through. You see, I'm going to posit to us today that the pressing in our life can do one of two things. It can either kill us or it can create us. You see, there are two assignments for the pressing in your life, no matter the source or the magnitude. The enemy wants to use the pressing in your life to kill you, to destroy you. As it says in John 10, he comes to still kill and destroy. But Jesus has an assignment, and his assignment is to redeem what the enemy means for evil and to turn it around for your good, to use it for his glory, to build his kingdom. And when we choose, instead of letting the pressing in our life destroy us, we choose to instead run in desperation and devotion to the one who has overcome the world. Come on, somebody. God can use the pressing in our life to make oil. What am I talking about? All throughout the Bible, there are references to oil. And actually, there's many, many things that the Bible has to say about oil. There's lots of sermons you could preach about it. But we're going to go in a certain direction today. Are you ready? You see, all throughout the Holy Land, there are olive trees. They grow really well there. And so they use the olives for all sorts of things. And they make olive oil out of the olives. And in order to get the olive oil out, they have to press the olives. And the olive oil is used for medicine. It's used for cooking. It's used for uh, uh, food. It's used, it's used for um, cosmetics. It's used in the temple to anoint the priests, to put on the burnt offerings, to light the lamps. And why do I say that we're becoming oil? Because... Oil burns, and our God is a consuming fire, right? And I don't care the source of the pressing in your life. God can redeem it and make oil out of it. I don't know about you, but most of the time, I'm the source. Anybody? Can we get real this morning? Usually, I'm the one that has opened the door to this pressing in my life. Like, I've made some mistake. I've sinned. My problem's my mouth, of course, you know. (laughs) 
but you might not be like me. You might have other <laughs> things, but um, I invited in and you know, I got to live with the consequences of my mistakes and my sins, right? I got to deal with them. Well, I can either let them crush me with shame and despair and all these things and guilt and all this stuff that comes with it, or I can cause that, I can use that to drive me in desperation and devotion to the one who forgives, the one who has mercy, the one who restores me, the one who took my shame to the cross, I got to do the hard work of repentance unto him and repentance to someone that I've harmed. And then I got to do the hard work of reparation, of repairing what I've done. It's not easy. It's pressing. But isn't it worth it? Because God could come and consume a heart that is postured like that. He's making oil. Now, sometimes other people are the source of pressing in my life. Somebody's making life difficult for me. Maybe they're sinning against me. Maybe they're talking about me, gossiping about me. Maybe they're smearing my reputation. I don't know. They're just doing something to me. Can God make oil out of that? Can he redeem that in my life? Is my life dependent upon what they do or don't do in my life? No, because I can run to the one. I can either let it crush me and destroy me with bitterness and anger, or I can run to the one who has overcome the world. I can run to Jesus, and I can say, Jesus I surrender to you because I don't know what to do in this situation. When do I speak up and stand up for myself? When do I stay silent as you were silent, Jesus? I need your grace. And then I do the hard work to forgive that person, even if they don't ask for forgiveness. Amen. I do the hard work to forgive and then not to just forgive, but to pray for them and to bless them because Jesus said, pray for your enemies and bless those who curse you. It's not easy, especially when they're not repentant. And then I do the hard work to either restore them or I set up healthy boundaries, right? It's not easy. It's pressing. But isn't it worth it because God is making oil out of a heart position like that? What about when the enemy's attacking me and that is the source of pressing in my life? He's coming against my health or something like that or my mind with fear. What do I do? What is the righteous response to that? What is the redemption of that? It's warfare. Warfare. It means I got to get my sword out. Hello, this is your sword. This is the sword of the spirit. I got to get my sword out and I got to see what Jesus says about what the enemy is doing. Is he trespassing illegally? Probably. That's his MO. And I got to get in the word and I got to enforce the victory that Jesus has won for me. Come on, it's not easy. What about if you've been praying for something for 49 years and you don't see breakthrough? Hello, keep praying. It's not easy, but it's worth it. God's making oil. What about this? What about when I don't get the breakthrough? What about when there is some senseless tragedy that I just simply cannot fit into my theology and what I know about the nature of God? What am I going to do then? I can let it destroy me. I can let it make me angry at God. I can let it lead me into crushing despair and depression. Or I can run in desperation and devotion to the one who has overcome and say, God, I choose to trust you. I don't understand, but I trust you. 
have you ever seen anyone like that? Have you ever seen anyone in the midst of senseless tragedy praising Jesus through it, saying, I trust you even though this is crazy, Jesus. I don't get it. I can't make sense of it. There is nothing more beautiful in this world. There's nothing sweeter. There's no sweeter fragrance to the Lord than that. It's not easy. It's pressing. But isn't it worth it? God is making oil. He's making oil. In the trusting, he's making oil. In the waiting, he's making oil. In the surrender, it's not easy. But he is making oil. In obedience, there's pressing, but he is making oil. In the growing and maturing and stretching, he's making oil in our lives. Peter said this in 1 Peter verse, or chapter 4. He said it like this. Verse 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. I don't know about you, but I am surprised every time. I'm like, what's this? Why is this happening? What new level is this? He goes on to say, instead, be very glad. I can look you in the eye this morning and tell you I have never once been glad. I'm being real, at least in the beginning. When I'm going through a fiery trial, I'm never glad about it. But I believe that God is inviting us to repent, to change our mind about the pressure that we're going through, and to see that he is a redeeming God, and he can bring his glory to this. He can make oil and come and burn and bring glory to his name through this thing. I'm not saying, I want to say this right now, I want to make sure this is clear, I'm not saying don't ever hear this in this message, that God gives us diseases or something like that to teach us a lesson. I'm not saying that at all because my Bible says that he heals all my disease. Remember when we talked about enforcing the word? Okay, that's how he makes oil out of that. All right. But okay, <clears throat> Romans 8. This is how Paul, oh, sorry, I want to finish the rest of that. Be glad. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. I don't know if you're going through some pressing and you're like, I can't see Jesus in this. In this. Can I invite you to look at the cross? It says, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. Paul said it like this in Romans 8, 28. He said, we know that God causes everything. Somebody say everything. everything. To work together for good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. It doesn't say he causes all things to be fun. It doesn't say he causes all things to be easy. It doesn't say he causes all things to be comfortable. It says he causes all things to work together for good. Now, I don't know about you, but my definition of good and God's definition of good are two different things. To me, good is a 401k and I'm laying in my hammock without a care in the world. To God, goodness looks like him working righteousness in my life. To God, good likes Good looks like him working justice through me. And I don't always like it because his justice looks like mercy a lot of the time. And I don't want to be merciful to people who don't deserve it. Come on, let's get real. 
To God, goodness looks like him developing purity in me, which means self-control, and I don't always want to do it. To God, goodness looks like him making my life a bullhorn for the gospel, and sometimes I just want to do my own thing. To God, good looks like me laying down my life so that I can truly live. Him living his life in me and through me, not me living my own life. That's the John 10.10 life. That's the life abundant that Jesus came to give. Not that I would have all the things that I want and do what all I want all the time. It's so that Jesus can live in me and through me. So that I can manifest Christ. And manifesting Christ in my life means suffering. It requires pressing. It requires me coming to an end of myself. If you're going through the pressing right now, can I give you the cliff notes? Just come to an end of yourself. Okay, that's the way out. Come to an end of yourself. Surrender to him. Jesus. Realize, I can't save myself. I need you, Jesus. I'm not righteous. I don't have any righteousness. Only you. Amen. See, God made an offering of Jesus' life on our behalf. And it was the greatest act of love he could ever do to lay down his life for his friends. I'm his friend. You're his friend. And now the greatest act of love that I can do back to him is to lay down my life for him. It's worth it. This is what it says in Romans 8. We, were, we just read a scripture out of Romans 8. Just skip up a couple verses to 17. Paul said, we're his children. We're his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. The pressing that you are going through is nothing revealed to the glory of God that is going to come and burn the oil that is being created in your life. You may be going through the fire right now, but God's redemptive plan is for the fire to be in you. It's worth it. The pressing is not your story. Becoming oil is your story. Becoming a burning one is your story. God's making oil. And we sang that song this morning here at the North City campus, and it says, I want to be the oil. I want to be the sacrifice. I want to be the laid down lover for all my life. And I'm just going to be real. Sometimes I sing that song, and in the back of my head, I'm like, yeah, Jesus. I'm just going to lay down on the altar like I do in my hammock, and I'm just going to become oil magically and just come and consume me, whatever that means. <laughs> right? Do we really know what we're singing when we sing that? Because an olive doesn't magically become oil. It has to be crushed, and it has to be pressed. This is how it works, Okay. Olives, here's the deal with olives. They're a fruit. Did you know that? Don't worry, I'm not going to go into a horticulture lesson, although I would really like to. (laughs) They are a fruit. They're a stone fruit. They're akin to like a cherry or a peach. They have a pit, like a hard stone heart in the center. 
And olives, you can't just pick an olive off a tree and start eating it, or you can't squeeze it and oil comes out. But they are full of oil, just like you. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You are full of oil. But it doesn't just come out of the olive. It has to be processed. An olive is kind of like us. It has a hard heart, and it has a really hard skin. And it has to be separated from its hard heart in order to begin the process of giving up the oil that's inside of it. Come on, are you tracking with me? Come on, go somewhere with me, church, okay? So this is what they do. You can bring up that picture on the slides. There's a picture of a a big stone basin. There it is. Yeah, they put the olives in this stone basin. And then they have this huge stone. It's called a millstone. And it weighs about 3,000 pounds. That's about the weight of a midsize SUV. That is the amount of pressure that it takes to crush open an olive, to separate it from its hard heart, to get it to begin to give up its oil. It takes a team of donkeys to pull this stone around. And then it's separated from its hard heart, just like what God told the prophet Ezekiel. He said, tell my people, I will remove your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. Now, I don't know if you have felt like that's the amount of pressure that you're under. That's like the PSI that you've been under in your life, the pressing. But can I encourage you today? That if you feel like that is the amount of pressing that you have been under, you've been crushed by that pressing, can I encourage you that you can run to the one who knows what it's like to be crushed? I'm going to show us something in the Bible today. The Lord is going to show us. If you will go to Isaiah 53 verse 4, listen, we're going to do some Bible today. Are you ready? Good, because I'm going to tell you something. We are Bible people. And we don't need to apologize for reading and studying the Bible in church. You know why? If we're not in the Bible, why are we even here? What is the point? You are Bible people, okay? This is your sword. This is your weapon. We need encounters with Jesus. We need the strength of the Holy Spirit. But we need his word because Jesus is the word, it says in John. What good is it to have power but no weapon what good is it to have a weapon but no power we need the sword and the spirit working together this is the sword of the spirit amen Amen. let us not shrink back from the word of God and studying it and getting into it amen because I'm gonna tell you what there's a lot of false gospels out there right now and if we do not know the word and if we do not teach our children the word we are gonna fall into deception Isaiah 53, let's go there. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It says in verse 4, it says, It was our weaknesses that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down, and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion. Watch this, crushed. Somebody say crushed. Crushed. 
for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Jesus was crushed just as an olive is crushed before he became an offering poured out for sins on the cross. Before he gave up that oil, okay, he was crushed. And I just want to focus in on verse 6 because there is a false gospel that is based on Isaiah 53 verse 6 and this is what it says all of us like sheep have strayed away we have left God's paths to follow our own end of story there's a gospel out there that says it's okay we've all sinned we've all sinned it's all right hey it's okay we all sin hey no worries we all sin in fact maybe we should celebrate it Maybe we should exalt it. Maybe we should call it holy. It's okay. It's no problem. No big deal. But my Bible says, yet. That three-letter word puts the fear of the Lord in me. Because it says, yet, the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. You know what that tells me? My sin is a pretty big deal because it's the 3,000-pound millstone that crushed Jesus. It's not no big deal. It's 3,000 pounds. My sin, your sin. And Jesus spoke about a millstone. All right, we're going to keep your finger at Isaiah 53. We're going to move over to Matthew 25. No, sorry, Matthew 18. We're going to go to 25 later. Now just compare this with the gospel that says it's no big deal, we all sin. Matthew 18, verse 3. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, sin's no big deal. Jesus said, unless you turn from your sins and become like a child, what's a child like? Humble, trusting. So anyone who becomes as humble as a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. But if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and you be thrown in the depths of the sea to drown. What sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin? Temptations are inevitable, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? Read it again. Turn from your sins. Become like a little child. But don't you dare tempt a child to sin. Parents, it matters what we're teaching our children today. We have a choice today. We can either let the world teach them what is right or wrong. The world that Jesus says tempts people to sin. Or we can teach them the word of God. I believe that right now the church, we as the church, have a choice in front of us. There are two millstones that we can choose from. We can either choose the millstone that crushes us and turns us into oil that God can come and consume, or we can choose the millstone tied around our neck to be drowned in the sea. The second part of the process is the oil 
the olive has to be pressed. We haven't even got to the pressing yet. First it's crushed, and then it's pressed. They take the olives and they line them in a basket, and they stack these baskets up and they put them in a vise, and it's called an oil press. And they turn that vise until those baskets are crushed and pressed down, and the olives begin to give up their oil. And the oil flows out the sides of the baskets and it's collected in a basin below. And they have lots of different uses for that oil, and we're going to go into them today. But they don't just press the olives once, because an olive has so much to give. You have so much oil to give. They're pressed not once. Not twice, but three times they are pressed. And I don't know if you have felt like you have been in a season where the pressing has been on you and you can't even catch your breath and you start to catch your breath and then more pressing comes. And then you start to catch your breath and then more pressing comes. Can I encourage you today? God is making oil and you can run in desperation and devotion to the one who was crushed and pressed. Okay, flip on over to Matthew 26. Because I'm going to show you something. Matthew 26. Isaiah prophesied this about Jesus 700 years before he was born. 700 years later, in Matthew 26, Jesus fulfilled what Isaiah had prophesied. And this is what it says. It says, then Jesus brought them to an olive grove. This is in verse 36. Then Jesus brought them to an olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, sit here while I go ahead and pray. Now Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. He's getting ready to be an offering for sin, and he goes to a garden. Why? Because sin happened in a garden, and he's going to a garden to write it. And it wasn't a garden like I have with cucumbers and tomatoes. It was an olive tree garden. And the name of the garden was, was Gethsemane. And this will blow your mind. Do you know what Gethsemane means in Hebrew? It means oil press. So Jesus went to the oil press to be prepared to become an offering for sin. And it goes on to say, he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he began to be filled with anguish and deep distress. He told them, my soul is crushed, somebody say crushed, with grief to the point of death. Stay here and watch with me. Now, if you flip back, so he was crushed. The first step is crushing the olive. The second step is to press. If you flip back to Isaiah 53, you may have lost the place, but this is a short scripture. In Isaiah 53, verse 7, it says he was oppressed and treated harshly. Yet he never said a word. And that word oppressed in the Hebrew is nagos and it means to press. So Jesus was crushed and pressed in Isaiah 53. And then 700 years later in Matthew 26 it says he was crushed. And then it goes on to say that he prayed. And he prayed not once, not twice, but three times he prayed. And each time he prayed, he begged his friends to stay with him and pray, and they abandoned him. And each time he prayed, he prayed, God, if there's some other way to do this, let's do that. And then he prayed, but not my will, 
yours be done. Why? Because it is a process to surrender all the oil. It takes pressing and pressing and pressing. It takes surrender and surrender and surrender. And can I encourage you today, if you are in the process of surrendering something to Jesus and you haven't surrendered at all, do not give up. Keep going to the oil press. Keep surrendering in desperation and devotion to the one who knows what it's like to be crushed and pressed. Because I can guarantee you something. You are not alone in the pressing. You are not alone alone in the fire there is a fourth man in the fire with you today when you go through high waters he will be with you yeah you know you walk through the valley of the shadow of death you will fear no evil because he is with you Jesus's pressing looked like this sorrow anguish distress loneliness abandonment rejection Surrender to God, obedience to God, betrayal, pain, suffering. But he is with you. He is with you. As we begin to get close to closing, I want us to begin to consider the three uses of the oil. Because this is, has an, a tremendous application for our lives. The first time that they press the oil, it's the best that the olive has to give. It's the first fruits. And so what they do with that oil, by the way, this is the extra virgin olive oil. If you've ever wondered what that means, that's what it means. It's not just virgin olive oil, it's extra, whatever that means. And they take that oil because it's the best and it's the first. And they take it to the temple and it's used to create anointing oil to burn the lamps on the altars and, and for burnt offerings, okay? Many people will be pressed to this point. Yeah, I'll give God my best. It's called our Sunday best for a reason, isn't it? Because we dress a little nicer, we smile a little bit bigger, we're a little bit kinder, you know? Many people will give God their best, but, and be, be assured that God is looking at our best, but it's not all he's looking for. Many people will give God their tithe, but maybe not their free will offering. You know when it hurts to give, but you're giving out of obedience and you've got to trust God? Many people will give God their praise, but not their snotty, ugly worship, right? Many people will invite Jesus into their heart, whatever that means. I don't even know. But not many people will come and die a death on the altar and declare him Lord of their life. Many people will give God their best. But he's not just looking for our best. It's good. He likes it. Please give God your best. The second time they press the oil, it's not as good a quality. It starts to get a little bit messy after that, okay? It's not so pure anymore. The second time they press it, it's just virgin olive oil. It's no longer extra, okay? <laughs> and they use this for cooking and cosmetics and medicine. It's the useful oil, right? 
Many people will let themselves be pressed to this point too. Yeah, I'll be used by God. I'll be useful. I'll serve the Lord. I'll believe God for healings. It was used for medicine. I'll believe God for provision. It was used for food. I will pursue the Lord and spend time in his presence and make him, let him make me beautiful with the oil of beauty. It was used for cosmetics. I'll pursue God to that point. But how many knows God's not just looking at what we do for him. He likes it. It's good. Keep serving him. Keep doing for him. But we run into a danger when we make that all that our walk is about. When all that my walk is about is what I do for the Lord, we're in danger. Because he said in the last days, many are going to come to me and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? And I'm going to say, I don't know you, bro. He's going to look at our best. He's going to look at what we've done and how we've served him. But it's not all that he's looking for. He's looking for our all. All the olive has to give. The third time that they press the olive is the least quality oil. It's super messy after this, okay? And it's not, it's not worth much. And so they're like, but they, but they don't waste anything. And God doesn't waste any pressing in our life. And so this is what they do. They sell it to people to use in their lamps and in their homes. It's the everyday oil. It's the who I really am oil. It's the oil in my home oil. It's the how I treat my spouse oil. It's the how I talk to my children oil. It's the what I really say about people behind closed doors oil. It's the secret thoughts of my heart oil. It's a lot messier than the best. This is the oil that just a chapter before Jesus goes to the oil press to be prepared that Jesus spoke about in a parable. If you skip over to chapter 25, he told this parable about a wedding that was getting ready to happen. There's a wedding and the bridegroom is coming and everybody's waiting for the bridegroom. And there are 10 bridesmaids in this wedding and five of them are wise and five of them are foolish. And the five wise bridesmaids, they brought extra oil in their everyday lamps. And the five foolish didn't bring extra oil. And the hour began to grow late and the time began to get dark and they fell asleep. And at midnight, somebody screamed, the bridegroom is coming. Wake up, wake up. The bridegroom is here. And when they woke up, the foolish bridesmaids discovered that their lamps had gone out. And they begged the other bridesmaids, please give us some of your oil. And they said, we can't give you any oil or we won't have enough for us. You see, you can't get this kind of oil from somebody else's coattails. You have to be pressed yourself. The oil that is in your home is up to you. And so they begged them. They said, go to town and buy some. Well, it's midnight but they go anyways nobody's open at midnight but then they come back and the bridegroom and the wise bridesmaids had already gone into the marriage feast and the five foolish bridesmaids stood outside the wedding feast and begged to be let in and the bridegroom who is Jesus he's a bridegroom coming back for a bride he said I don't know you I am convinced today that the next great revival is family I am convinced today that the reason that every other previous, previous revival has sort of puttered out towards the end is because by the time the oil got into our homes, we were running out of oil. Oh, 
But God is calling a people today who will not just give him their best, who will not just serve him with their works, but who will give all that the olive has to give. Can I tell you something today, church? He is breathing on family. I believe that we are feeling the birth pains of a revival today that is starting with oil in our homes that is gonna be more than enough because the hour is getting late and the bridegroom is coming and he is a bridegroom coming back for a bride and our God is a father of a son and he is the God of a Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is the God of generations. He is a family man. He is the God of the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. They were families. That is the military order of heaven. It is family. And I'm here to tell you today, I do not care what is going on in your family. I do not care how many prodigals you have and how far away from the Lord they are. I do not care what is going on between you and your spouse. Can our God not redeem it? Can he not redeem it today? He is a God who restores. Come on, would you stand with me? Would you stand? He is a God who redeems and restores. And he is making oil in our life. Will you be pressed to the third degree? Will you be pressed to give all that you had? Come on, Jesus gave all that he had. He is the one who baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. That is what the oil is. It is the Holy Spirit. And the third degree of oil is the Holy Spirit having his complete work in our life so that the person that I am at home is no different than the person that I am at church. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.